Camper. Have no fear, happy campers is here. It's a summer camp themed podcast where we reminisce about the stuff that we missed, about the best summers we ever had. And there will be reflection and lots of introspection and a great selection of guests that will stop by. So grab a glass of bug juice, relax, and say hi to both your hosts. We're Julie and Sammy, your podcast family. We're going to start the show. Hey, welcome back to camp as a safe space. This is part two of our episode. Hopefully you tuned into part one last week where we spoke with Caroline Rothstein uh, and had a great conversation with her. And this week we've got two more guests to speak about this subject, both with very different backgrounds. Uh, first, you're going to hear from Zoe Katz, who's going to talk about experience camps, which are grief camps essentially for uh, campers who have lost someone significant to them. And after that, we will speak with Eric Tanner, who's very involved in Seeds of Peace, which is a camp where people go to... It's a camp that brings uh, campers from areas... I mean, I know. <laughs> Sammy just took over, but Sammy, take it away. <laughs> that brings uh, kids from areas of conflict together to kind of uh, learn about each other and peacefully interact. Correct. Um, so we're really excited to have both of these guests on today. Uh, in case you forgot, I'm Sammy. And I'm Julia. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to get going with this episode. So thanks for tuning back in and here we go. Hi there. Uh, so we are here joined by a special guest named Zoe and she's going to share her experience with us both about the camp that she went to growing up and the camp that she's been very involved in in the past couple of years called Experience Camps. And I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Sammy and I are really looking forward to speaking to you. And would you mind kind of introducing yourself and where you started and where you're now and kind of what brought you to this whole camp experience that you've had in general? Sure. Hi, I'm Zoe Katz. Um, I went to an all-girls sleepaway camp, Camp Robindale, for seven summers and was a counselor for one year. Camp has always been a really important part of my life. Uh, last summer, for the first time, I volunteered at Experience Camps, which is a camp for children who have experienced a significant loss in their life, the loss of a parent, sibling, or parent or sibling-like figure. Great, great, Yeah. Um, so how long is the camp? Uh, experience camps is a one week camp. Okay. Uh, and like, do kids come from like, are there, there are multiple camps? So we have one camp in New York at Camp Kennybrook, which we call Ken X. So Kennybrook experience, Manito in Maine, Man X, Manito experience. That was the first camp that's been going on for about seven summers and we have a California camp, Calex in Malibu. And this year we will be introducing um, a camp in Georgia. That's great. great. And who are the people behind Experience Camps? Experience Camps was started by Sarah Darren, whose husband runs Manito. And um, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's great. And cool. uh, are there camps like this around the country, or is this kind of a. There are a few. There, oh, sorry. Oh, no. there are yeah. a few other uh, bereavement camps. At Kennybrook specifically, they're following 9 11. They had a camp called Camp Hayes for children who had lost a parent at 9 11. They continued that for a, f a few years, but kind of as the campers aged out of camp. Uh, you know, as the years gone by, have gone by, they transitioned out of that camp, and it was a really nice way for experience camps to kind of come in and pick up where they left off. That's great. And the people who uh, are involved in these camps, do you find that a lot of them maybe experience just like a, a regular summer camp type experience beforehand? and kind of had the basis of you know, canoeing and being out in the woods together and then thought that could be a powerful thing to take to these children who've experienced this type of loss? Yeah, the volunteer pool is kind of made up of a few different types of people. Um, first of all, because of the roots at Camp Manito and the girls' camp, Camp Matoka, a lot of the volunteers um, went to those camps and want to share their love of camp with the children at experience camps. 
there are also a number of volunteers and this pool is increasing of uh, volunteers who experience a significant loss either more recently or when they were kids. So they find, you know, that they wish that they had something like experience camps when growing up. And then there are some of us who kind of love camp and also experienced a loss in their life. So it's a really great combination. Uh, how did you like come to get involved with experience camps? When I was 13, my mother died of breast cancer and I was in a very unique situation where I left for my fifth summer of camp two days later. And it was the best thing I could have done. You know, nobody, nobody at camp had a parent with them. It was a really great way to escape. Um, Robin Dell was always a significant part of my life before that, but I think it became even more significant in those three years following and then all the years that I've been able to either visit or work as a counselor. Recently, I was introduced to somebody who, you know, heard all about my love of camp because I'm very vocal about it. You're wearing a sweatshirt that says happy camper right now. That's true. I am a very happy camper. And, um... Also knew, you know, learned about my experience losing my mother at 13, and he told me about experience camps and thought it would be a great combination of really, you know, things that I'm passionate about. Yeah, I actually, I mean, like, I love the idea of a a bereavement experience. Not, like, love it, but, you know, I think it's, like, such a good idea to, like, bring all of these kids, because I feel like a lot of times kids that have experienced losses kind of feel very isolated in their regular lives. Uh, Like, you know, a lot of kids, fortunately, don't, you know, have to experience a loss so early in life, and so you bring all these kids together, and they are all going through the same thing. Like, no one is unique because of this, and, like, I watched it. Did you ever see the um, HBO documentary about grief camp? It's really good. No. It's called, like, One Last Goodbye or One Last Hug or something like that. It's really, really good. Um, And I, like, watched it and I was, like, weeping by the end of it. These kids were, like, so grateful to be there and, like, so happy that they were not singled out. Yeah, I mean... Is that what you found in your experience? Yeah, you know, we like to say um, at Experience Camps and specifically KenX, which is the camp that I volunteer at, that everybody at camp, quote, gets it. Yeah. And it's a really, you're right, it really is something really isolating. A lot of people, you know, don't know anybody else who have lost a parent or a sibling or somebody, you know, somebody present in their everyday life. And when you're, you know, six or seven or 13 or 14 or 18, you feel like you are the only person in the world who has lost their parent and everybody else is a cookie cutter, Yeah, you know, family. And so for these kids to be able to come and just even just know that there are other kids around that, um, you know, that have experienced something similar is really special. And I was actually with one of our campers yesterday and she had been to camp before, before she went to experience camps and took a summer off because her father died either over the summer or close to the summer. She's, she was a pretty shy kid. And I was asking her mother how she got involved in camp. And they, she said that, you know, the the summer following her father dying, she was toying with whether to go back to the whatever the kind of one-week camp she had gone to before. And one thing that was really stopping her was, I don't really want to have to explain this to people yeah. when I meet new friends at camp. That, you know, when they ask me about my mom and dad, that my dad isn't alive or that my dad died. And, and somebody told her about experience camps and it was something, you know, there was just, it sounds so simple, but it's a huge element of meeting new people that's really... Yeah that's really hard for, you know, for kids to grapple with. So that's something that's really special about camp. And, you know, just having a space where where they can, amongst having so much fun, talk about, talk about those type of things and feel like, you know, like we always say, that someone else gets it and yeah. gets that, that worry or self-consciousness is really amazing. 
It's kind of an interesting concept because uh, our previous guest that we have on was kind of talking about how like she was living through trauma in her life and uh, w- used just our regular camp like your Robindale Walden just as a safe space. But this camp is like designed as a safe space, which is the theme of this episode. So it's like it's I find it like a very cool and interesting dynamic. I'm really curious about kind of once that one week is done, especially if it's your first summer and you're a camper and, you know, in those seven days you, you found someone who really, you know, gets it and it's like a friend and someone who went through something similar. In what way are people able to keep in touch and kind of keep that network going during the year? Yeah, so it's it's interesting, you know, I think that when you when you have a camp that is specifically serving a therapeutic purpose and... Uh, you know, that's specifically serving a therapeutic purpose. And um, we're a free camp, so yeah. we have a very diverse population. And some of our some of our campers come from more at-risk neighborhoods, you know, anything. There can be anything from, you know, you know, affluent families to kids who are going in and out of foster care, you know, and everything in between. So the, you know, the the administrators at Experience Camps are really uh, great about just making sure that throughout the year, um, you know, kids definitely do exchange contact information with each other. We as volunteers don't share our information with the campers. Um, you know, for a number of reasons, they're kids, you know, we have, you know, we get, we volunteer our time for a week, but everybody has a lot of different things going on. What we do offer for the campers, though, are our clinicians who are, are, you know, any psychologists that work at camp for that week are in touch with all of the families and all have inf- their information with every family that comes to camp, and they they are keep, you know keeping track and are available to the to the kids all throughout the year. That's amazing. Yeah. And in terms of you being a volunteer there, were you like assigned to a certain group of campers? Did you teach an activity? What was your role? Yeah, so I was slept in a bunk next to the next to a camper, uh, which is a lot of fun. And the, you know the the volunteers tend to be a little bit older than the um, typical camp average camp counselor. You know, yeah. they're not nineteen year olds and in college. Yeah, so it's pretty funny to you know to have kind of people between 24 and even 40 yeah, yeah, yeah. you're just thrown in and it's amazing <laughs> because we're back sleeping on those bunk beds or in those camp beds with the you know egg crate mattresses for mm-hmm. um for a week so a majority of the volunteers are bunk counselors and we live in the bunk with the with our group of about eight to ten campers and all the the boys and the girls sides function a little bit differently. This was actually our first year, 2016, running a girls camp at Kennybrook. And we all kind of acted a little bit more like general counselors. So went to each activity with with our bunks as opposed to having a specialty. Um, how much like talk at camp is there about like loss and grieving? Like are there dedicated sessions to it or is it just kind of like you're allowing the kids to work through it in the course of just like the regular camp experience or a mix or yeah so we have um one specific uh clinical activity period per day okay which we start with so it's a so you know I guess it's about five weeks of five days of programming because there's the arrival day and the departure day and the first day, our clinical period is a sharing circle mm-hmm. where the kids have the opportunity to share their story and why they're at camp. And, you know, we have an iPass policy as many, uh, you know, as all situations like this have. And they can kind of just go around in a circle and share with their, just their cabin. So we, we leave it really in a really safe area that it's just their cabin, nobody Mm -hmm. else in the camp, only their bunk counselors are able to be in that circle, as well as the clinician that's assigned to their bunk who facilitates that circle. The other days, um, 
the clinical activity is some sort of less direct activity okay. that might might suggest um, a response that you know might start a conversation. We did we did some great activities. We um, one of the days we did a grief journey, mm. which was going to different stations and acting out different feelings with the kids. So we went to one station where the kids put their hands in a bucket of ice water and talked about what that feels like and the idea of shock and if that if there was anything that was triggered through that. And for some kids, it was, no, it was just a cold... My hand was just really cold yeah. in that tub of water. But for some kids, they were... You know, they also you know why you're there. So there's a little bit of direction kind of some of the kids do open up a little bit more and talk about the shock that came with um, losing their loved one. We went to, we did anger and we, the kids were throwing, uh, throwing balloons on the ground and able to figure out how to get that rage. One of the, one of the best stations in my opinion, or my favorite station was where the kids were handed a weight, about a five pound weight, which is a lot for a nine year old kid. And they held their hand out while standing, facing another friend, a bunkmate of theirs. And you watched as their bunk, their opposite bunkmate kind of reached their hand out to help them keep the weight up. And again, demonstrating that idea of you know, lending a hand to someone and that your friends and your family are there to support you. Right, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. Yeah. That sound, sounds like really helpful and powerful. Yeah. I mean, especially hearing these specifics and, you know, what they're doing on a daily basis, uh, I think really makes the whole experience kind of like condition yeah. a lot more. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that the the greatest thing is that each day we would have one of these clinical periods but then within an instant, you know, the minute the time was up, they would be zip lining yeah. or jumping on a water trampoline or playing college league, which is our version of color war. Um, and, you know, dressing up like an, we were painted head to toe as animals for an activity that we were, you know, hunting around to find the counselors for points and things like that. So they're really getting most of the, most of the reason why these kids are there are just to remember that they're just kids. Yeah. It's great. And they're just there to have fun, but it's really is great to have that about an hour a day to, to remember kind of what, what ties us all together there. Um, do you have like kind of like the camp traditions too, like campfires and stuff like that and like sing-alongs and that kind of stuff yeah, well, so one of the I'm, things that I feel most fortunate about was we I was able to kind of start the girls' camp at Kennybrook yeah, this yeah, summer. Yeah. And because Experience Camp started at Camp Manitou, which is an all-boys camp, they first started the boys' camp at Manitou and then did boys at California, at, added girls to California did boys at New York, and then they added girls in New York. And so the kind of experience camps vets definitely have a lot lot more experience with, with boys. And so there are so many traditions at camp and so many fun kind of, you know, tall tales and things like that, and they do campfires yeah, yeah. Um, and s'mores and all the things, the amazing things that we think of when we think of camp. But when we started Kennybrook this summer, we, all the volunteers looked at each other and we had to like teach these girls cheers. Yeah. And it was a really great for me because, you know, I stepped out of my comfort zone of my Robindale cheers and, but introduced some of those. And then co-counselors of mine who came from Matoka or Kennybrook or other camps, brought their cheers and now we kind of have our you know like a hybrid hybrid yeah. that make up the cheers that as the Kenex girls go, you know 
continue for years to come will be the cheers. That's really that cool. are the Ken X like cheers. on the ground floor of this new camp. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, do you do a lot of kids come back like year after year or uh, like how soon after uh, some of their losses do they come? Like do you, kids come back for like the whole time that they're teenagers or like what do you or is it just like one summer? Yeah, I mean a mix. They have a. Um, about an 80% retention rate That's returning really campers. High, yeah. So the campers do really come back summer after summer. It's anything from, you know, six months ago the mm-hmm. loss happened to, you know, years ago. Okay. Um, it really just depends on, you know, they go through our clinicians throughout the year are doing intakes with the families and talking to the kids and just making sure that this is the right fit for them. So, it just depends on kind of that rather than when their loss happened. And, you know, we're you know, proud to say that the, the kids have a really great time. So there are, so of course, outside factors that are out of everyone's control. Sure. But, you know, we're free to all campers, no matter what your financial situation. So the campers do really come back. And, you know, I think that's something that, you know, is so special about camp is that that it's free to everybody. I had a couple campers in my bunk um, on the last day when I said, oh, are you going to come back this summer? And I had at nine years old, I had girls say to me, you know, well, like, if it's not free, I don't think I can come. And oh. it was really, you know, great to be able to say to them, it's free. it is free. Yeah. It is free. <laughs> we'll be free next year, too. And <laughs> to see their, their face light up like that. Oh, that's really sweet I'm that's like really nice that it's free for all kids that's so important I feel like throughout the year when you're not there are there elements of fundraising that you get involved with yeah so do you want to plug them yeah I do (laughs) want to plug them we are um we are very tight-knit group very uh very fortunate to have all my uh a lot of Kenex people and Manex and Calex in New York City and Boston and Miami and LA all over the country. We do a couple of annual fundraisers in May. We have kind of our big fundraiser. So, you know, we only have one full-time employee right now, Experience Camps, our executive director, oh, wow. Sarah. And so otherwise it's a really volunteer-driven organization um, as we continue to grow. And everyone is just so passionate about it. And yeah. Um, you know, committed to fundraising, committed to recruiting volunteers, uh, experience.camp if you want to volunteer with us, and um, to keeping the Experience 365 spirit all year round. Um, what, when is it? It's like, it's after the camps are finished, right? Yeah. So it's like the week after. So they're not all at the same time. So it's about, right, it's, it's basically right after the traditional summer camp you know, eight week, four week summer camps end. Mm-hmm. So it's end of August. Okay. Give or, you know, give or take a couple of d- d- different weeks. Cool. That's great. Uh, I was wondering if there are any stories that come to mind, maybe of particular girls that you got to work with of, you know, I kind of have that idea of, you know, that first day of camp getting there, being very overwhelmed and then maybe, you know, By the end. seeing someone kind yeah. of come into their own or be able to share something that they didn't even think they were ever going to share when they first got there. Any stories like that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things you realize when working with kids is that we overthink so much stuff. Yeah. And they're just Yeah, we all turned into crazy people once (laughs) we hit like 19 and started having anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I had a girl get off the bus and within two minutes she was hugging me and saying, I want to be just like you when I grow up. (laughs) You're like, I'm not grown up. I'm pretty (laughs) sure she didn't even know my name yet. Um, which was great. She said, I want to come back and be a counselor just like you. Um, but yeah, there really is, you know, one thing that we talk about at experience camps are that opening sharing circle. And then we do on the last day, we do another sharing circle Mm -hmm. and the difference between, you know, the comfort within the cabin, within, with the camp structure and the di- so the difference in the sharing that happens, um, I think with most of my campers, I had I had eight nine year old girls, and you know they were definitely had some that were was were more extroverted than others on day one, but no matter what 
by the last day, they really started to open up a lot more. And we do a kind of a closing campfire. The whole girl side together does that. And uh, each camper has the opportunity to stand up in front of all the girls, light a candle in honor of their loved one who's passed away and, um, and share anything. And, you know, there are a lot of tears and a lot, a lot of heightened emotions during that time. But to see girls from just the different bunks, so not necessarily that we're super close throughout the week, but comforting each other and holding hands, walking back to the bunk and saying things like, I know, you know, I can, I can kind of get what you're feeling or don't worry. Like I get it too. Yeah. When, when these kids have never heard that before because they're the only one in their whole school district who's lost, who's, you know, dad died or mom died. It was really, you know, you, you realize why you're there. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so powerful to give these kids a chance to come together and and tell Give them each the space other. where they, you know, they don't, this thing happens, they don't just shut down and shut everyone else out because they don't think anyone understands, but to say, like, I'm going to put myself out there, say what I'm feeling, yeah. and have people kind of be like, I feel that way too, and I'm yeah. glad you said it because it makes me braver to talk about it. To tell each other that I get it and also be told that everyone else gets it. Yeah. Yeah, and there are, you know, there are emotions when you experience a loss, no matter at any age, that people don't think are okay or reactions that people don't think are, you know, they're afraid to share with people and to to see. There was one girl in our closing sharing circle that said, people keep saying that my mom is in a better place, but she's not because if she, the better place would be if she was with me. Right. And, and like these frustrations or these, yeah. like, I don't, I don't get this or why, yeah. I, or like I have this thought: Is that crazy? That like I'm, or like, uh, yeah, or maybe things haven't hit them in the way that they will hit them later, and and being yeah. told that no, that's okay. It's however you're dealing with it. A, v- yeah. uh, a very close friend of mine passed away about three years ago, and we had the same birthday. And every year on my birthday since then, everyone is always like, "Oh, well, she'd want you to celebrate." And I'm like, I hate that saying. Like, I hate it when people say that to me because, like. She doesn't want anything, you know? And, like, I think that that's, like, a very... It's an identifiable thing. Like, there are things that people say to people who have lost someone that are, like, the tropes. And, like, you know, to kids, I'm sure they're probably, like, no, that's... Yeah, they can call it out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What? Yeah. Like, no, that's incorrect. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's an amazing thing that you do. I'm, like, in awe, honestly. It's very cool. Um... Yeah. Is there anything else? Did you want to plug anything else for experience? Can you want to say the website again? It's experience.camp. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, um, yeah, I mean... Can you donate through the website? Yes, you can donate okay. through the website. Donate through the website. You can sign up to volunteer. You can sign up to volunteer. It costs $1,000. We'll send one kid to camp for okay. a summer. So that's a really great, you know, a really great thing to think about that, you know, if you make uh, donate $1,000 or make up that you know, donate with other people and make up that $1,000, you guys can sponsor a kid. To camp. Yeah, right. that's really good. All right. Zoe, thank you so much for coming on. This was really like enlightening and cool and powerful. Honestly, I like, I love the idea. Like I want to volunteer at experience yeah. camp. We'd love to have <laughs> <laughs> Hey, welcome back. We're here with our second guest of part two of the Campus of Safe Space episode, and his name is Eric Tanner, and he's actually cousins with our amazing producer, Allison Caden. Welcome, uh, Eric. Thank you. His mother is also a Waldenite. Uh, yeah, it's nice to be here. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's an honor to be on my, my new favorite podcast of the season. Yes. Thank you very much. Number uh, one camp podcast on iTunes. I think that's true, actually. Yeah, this just in, right? Yeah, yeah. this just in. We are the number First one. First reported on Happy Campers. <laughs> yeah. So you can really trust it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's good. Yeah, we're all about uh, facts and statistics here. Exactly. We're very, we're very, we fact check a lot of things. Uh, Eric, will you tell us a little bit about your camp experience, where you went as a camper and what you're involved in now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm a, I'm a big camp guy. Um, I went to day camp, two day camps, then... Uh, <laughs> 
really kicked it up to the next level. I went to Camp Winnebago in Fayette, Maine for seven summers. And then uh, after that, I went to Seeds of Peace for two summers. Uh, and I've worked on staff at both of them uh, in subsequent years. And now I live in Brooklyn and run a travel startup. Cool. What's your startup called? It's called Tripwing. Cool. Everyone check it out. Um, awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about Seeds of Peace, like its mission, what happens there? Yeah, sure. We'll start with that. So okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's an easy, like, one-sentence starter. Yeah. Um, Seeds of Peace is an organization that's been around for almost 25 years. Uh, it's a leadership development organization that focuses on kids from places of conflict. Um, so really started out uh, for Israeli-Palestinian uh, youth, um, coming to a camp in Maine where they had the chance to actually meet one another because, you know, it sounds kind of silly to us, but you might have a Palestinian kid who lives in East Jerusalem and you might have an Israeli kid who lives in West Jerusalem or, you know, in the old city or something like that. And they might not have ever met someone from the other side, let alone had the chance to have a meal with them or play sports with them or actually have a conversation about their lives. And so Seeds of Peace really started as that. And over the course of, you know, 20 some odd years, as seeds continue to get older and, and rise into prominence in their fields, seeds has adapted to become, um, you know, a, a change accelerator. So giving, you know, graduates from the program the tools to, you know, make changes in their home communities. That's awesome. Um, what is your current, you're still involved with it today, right? So what do you do? Uh, I'm still involved with it today. Um, I raise money and uh, put on events and things like that. Uh, I've been serving on the junior board. I was chair of the junior board for two years. I'm no longer chair of the board, um, freeing up my schedule for other activities. Like being on podcasts? Like being on podcasts. <laughs> if it wasn't, if I was still on the board, I wouldn't be able to join you today. So, Well, we are honored. We're, we're very honored. Things for us to be thankful for. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, we have so many questions. I guess what I want to start off with is why the camp environment and why Maine as opposed to doing something like this in the Middle East? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I can only speak from like my guesses on this. Please. Um, you know, the, the camp environment, even without the kind of added layer of kids from places of conflict. I mean, I went to a camp for seven summers and the things that I took out of it were, you know, how to be independent, comfortable in my own skin, but at the same time able to work with people who I might not be best friends with and, you know, have a group mentality and be able to accomplish goals. Uh, and all of that applies in a really profound way when you're dealing with kids who, you know, are taught their whole lives to hate one another. Uh, I mean, I found out about seeds because, uh, my last summer at Winnebago, we actually went and played sports against the Seeds of Peace team. And I knew nothing about Seeds at the time. And it's called Sports Day and at Seeds. And it's when you know other camps come and we played them in soccer and basketball. And you know it's the first time that even though it's just like a sporting game, but it's the first time that like an Israeli kid and a Palestinian kid are playing on the same team against a common enemy which unfortunately for me was my camp and we just got absolutely crushed. <laughs> um, but at the, the same time, uh, it's pretty easy to see how the camp environment is conducive to this type of work in that it makes people really live together and do activities together and takes them out of their comfort zone. And that kind of goes to the second part of the question, which is I think it's important that the kids come to a place that is removed a little bit from their day-to-day -day lives um, and removed from a war zone. Um, and I think it's kind of speaking to the safe space theme. Uh, it's important that they have a place where they can kind of start fresh, not only with themselves, but um, you know, with the other campers. A new environment. Exactly. Uh, what's like the structure of the camp? Like how old are the kids? The kids are ages 14 to 17. Okay. There are two age groups. So uh, a regular camp session has about 180 to 200 campers um, and about 150 to 170 of them are first year campers. 
So most people who come to Seeds do not come back for a second year. Um, It's a three-week session, so three weeks and a couple days. Um, So it's really kind of packed in there. Um, And it's incredibly overscheduled. And that's not a knock. It's just, you know, I went to a camp where we had seven weeks and we had the time and space and we had tons of free time. And that's just not something at Seeds that is a thing. And, you know, you do all the regular camp activities We have art class, we play basketball, we go water skiing. Um, But every camper has at least two hours of dialogue every day. Um, And so you're with a dialogue group. Um, You have the same group every single day, and that's the same group that you do your activities with. And you go in, you have two trained facilitators. So if you're from the Middle East, you have uh, one who speaks Hebrew, one who speaks Arabic, uh, while the camp, while the camp language is English, um, you know, it's certainly there if you don't feel like you're able to express your, your story in, in English. Um, and so, yeah, you have two hours of dialogue every day without fail. And that's really the crux of the program. Wow. How many questions? (laughs) Ask them. Um, how do you recruit these kids and what involvement do their parents have? Two very good questions. Um, so it differs for each delegation is what we call them. So, you know, you have the American delegation, you have the Jordanian delegation, et cetera. For most of them, it applies through schools. So we have, you know, 10 to 20 feeder schools in different countries where we bring kids from, not only because it allows for some continuity. So you'll always have a couple seeds kids in that school. Um, but it also, you know, you build the relationships with the teachers, you build the relationships with the administrators, and they really kind of send you the best and brightest, the, the best future, potential future leaders. Uh, Israel's a little different. Uh, the kids apply straight through the government, the Ministry of Education, uh, who picks the kids. Um, but And then the Americans apply straight through seeds. But um, for the most part, it's really trying to identify in different schools the, the best and the brightest potential leaders. And what about the parents? And the parents, sorry, I forgot about the parents. That's okay. um, it depends. Some parents are incredibly supportive. Some are incredibly skeptical. I mean, one of the hardest things for campers is when they go home and, you know, you might have a Palestinian family who the kid comes home and they say, well, did you stick it to those Israelis? Did you kind of like convince them that they, what they were doing was wrong? And the kid says, I mean, yeah, I told them my story, but you know, my best friend from camp was, you know, Aton, and he lives in Tel Aviv. And so, you know, you can only imagine what the parents of a kid who says that when they come home are thinking. Uh, and it makes it, it makes it really tough. Um, so, you know, that's something that Seeds is incredibly aware of. And uh, as a counselor, it's important to, you know, check in with your kids as they go home because, that's really where the work starts. And that's why seeds has kind of extended itself to be much more than just a summer camp and is now sort of this global organization with offices in every country that it works in doing follow-up programming so that that safe space can continue, you know, long after you've left the woods. What does some of that follow-up programming look like? I was just going to ask that. Oh, you guys are great. Um, (laughs) there's tons. Uh, so, you know, when I went to camp, there was very little, uh, and they've made a huge push into it. So for p- kids who are straight out of camp, who are you know, 16, 17 years old, they get together, um, like in the region, they do binational programming. So last year they did one about the city of Jerusalem, where everyone came together in Jerusalem. They had like a long seminar where they discussed not only the history of Jerusalem, both from an Israeli and a Palestinian perspective, but what the future of Jerusalem would hold. And you know, that led to conversations about, you know, Whose capital is it? What does it mean to each person? And, uh, you know, I encourage everyone to go check out Seeds' website. They had a really cool video about it. Um, You know, for me, the most powerful post-camp programming that I did was a facilitation course uh, where we actually learned how to facilitate dialogue. Um, And it totally changed the way I think about things. I mean, it was beyond just, like, how do you negotiate something? It was talking about, you know, where you sit at a table and how that factors into the dynamic that you're creating when you're having a discussion um, and how your body language impacts your conversations and, you know, the words that you choose, et cetera. And so um, that's something that, you know, I remember to this day and it factors into, you know, 
how I conduct business, how I talk with my friends, kind of everything in my life. It's sort of all encompassing. Um, do the campers like stay in touch after, I mean, like you talked about like the programming, but outside the programming and like, have you seen kind of change in their attitudes and maybe like the attitudes of the people around them that didn't go to seeds of peace or like, do you have any info on that? So in terms of staying in touch, absolutely. Um, you know, back when I went to seeds, there was pretty terrible communication. Mm -hmm. Uh, so like I had to download MSN messenger and this thing called ICQ, uh, which inevitably destroyed my computer. Um, but that was like the way that I could stay in touch with my camp friends overseas. Now that everyone has Facebook and everyone has Skype, it's so much easier and WhatsApp and things like that. Uh, I mean, some of my favorite things is like Right after camp ends, you know, at Seeds, everything is assigned. So you're assigned a bunk, you're assigned a dining table where you have all your meals with them, you're assigned a dialogue group. And like tables, the counselors and the campers together will all like schedule a meal at the same time where they all get on Skype, they all like share something about what they're eating, like what it, you know, what it means to them or whatever. They do like the little, you know, cheer that we do before meal times together. It's super adorable. Uh, in terms of like attitude shifts, um, seeds actually partnered with the university of Chicago business school, uh, booth, booth. the booth business school. Uh, and they actually did a study on this. So for the past seven to 10 years, I think, uh, they've been giving out surveys pre-camp post-camp and a year later. Yeah. And the study has shown that attitudes have shifted, um, towards a higher level of empathy, a higher level of engagement um, over the course of time. Um, The real thing has been that if someone makes at least one good friend from the other side, it has a far longer lasting implication. And so, you know, Seeds really tailors itself to providing people with the opportunity to do that. Um, And, you know... It's, it's the same kind of camp dynamics that you find at any camp. Um, it is a co-ed camp. Uh, so when you're there from like a staff perspective, you just realize that like, you know, no matter where kids are coming from, they're just pubescent teenagers right, looking to you know, flirt stuff. with each other. Yeah. If I see like a, you know, an American Jewish guy and like an Israeli girl like walking off together, I'm like, no, 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 come back to the, come back to the group. But if I saw like a, you know, Palestinian guy and an Israeli girl, I'd be like, Pfft. Please. Go, please. <laughs> please. Go have a conversation. You, you can have my cabin. Just like <laughs> go off, do your thing. <laughs> uh, so you were saying that it started off as uh, bringing Israeli and Palestinian kids together, but has it expanded beyond that? Like what other conflict areas have been involved? Yeah, kind of thing? super question. So Seeds has done a bunch of different um, conflict regions. So its main focus has been, and I think always will be, the Middle East. Right. Um, but it's worked in Cyprus. Um, it's worked in the Balkans. Um, it has worked in South Asia, so Indians and Pakistanis, uh, and then Afghanistan as well. Wow. So, you know, when I went to camp, I was in a Middle East dialogue group. Uh, when my brother Robbie went to camp, he was in a South Asia dialogue group. So it was Indians, Pakistanis, Afghans, and Americans. And at least from an American perspective, I think that's actually a much harder place for him to be. Because when I was in dialogue, I could just remove myself and kind of say, you know, this isn't really my life. And in fact, I was yelled at and told that it isn't my life when I tried to speak up. Um, But for Robbie, you know, there were Afghan kids who basically said, like, your government has destroyed my village. Um, And that's, that's a whole different can of worms. Right. Wow. Uh, so I have a question when you're, so you went there when you were like 16, 17, is that when, so like you're the same age as the other campers, right? So you're kind of, you're not so much like a staff person as you are like participating in the, in the program. Is that? Yeah. So I was, I I was a camper for two years. Okay. So I went as a first year camper Mm -hmm. and then I reapplied to go as what's called a PS. It was called a peer support but they thought that that wasn't like a great name and changed it to paradigm shifter because <laughs> that's things that people at seeds come up with. Yeah. Um, and that's like, I, I, it, it honestly was a misnomer because it wasn't about supporting the first year campers. Yeah. In my opinion, it was really a, a second year process, which was very different than the first year process. Okay. Uh, 
the kids who are coming, do people pay for this camp? Only the Americans. Only the Americans. Okay. Everybody else, it is it is free for them to come. Um, plane flights, buses, everything. And from what I remember of friends who, Americans who were applying to be campers or volunteers or anything like that, it was very competitive. Uh, it is very competitive. And like, a, and when you spoke about recruiting campers, it, you know, looking for future leaders and that, that type of thing. Yeah. So there's like my, a high caliber, like an honor to be there type of thing. When you it first definitely in. felt that way. Uh, at least for me, my interview with seeds remains the scariest interview I've ever done. Um, <laughs> because it was like mid February in the city at like 7 PM. The whole office was empty. It was snowing outside. And I went into this office and the person who was interviewing me, she's a great lady. I really like her. Uh, she was my table counselor that summer. Uh, but when she was interviewing me, I would like finish my point and she would take like a couple seconds to process. Oh, it was just like silent. Dead silence. Yeah. Oh my God. And so I didn't know if she was like waiting for me to say more. So then I just kept <laughs> just blabbing on. Just to fill the silence. Yeah, so, like, just to fill the void. That's a good life lesson. I was like such, what you say. Yeah, I was just like up. such an awkward 16 year old. <laughs> and I was just like, I guess I need to say more because... I want this to go well and I obviously haven't said enough. And then she would take like five seconds to process and then she'd be like, okay, <laughs> okay, thanks for sharing. I'd be like, ugh, I bombed. <laughs> well, you so you're saying it. that this interview right now is not the scariest one you've ever been to in your life? Oh, it's in the top three. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> we try to be very intimidating. Allison ah. lurking over my shoulder is the scariest part of this. <laughs> uh, I've got a question in terms of more in the religion prayer yeah. aspect. How does prayer work at camp? Great question. Um, each bunk kind of comes up with its own th its own thing about prayer. Uh, so in my bunk, we had like a little corner where we had a sheet kind of cut the corner, and that could be like a prayer area. Um, every Friday, we do have uh, prayer So and Sunday. So Friday during rest hour is Muslim services. Friday evening after dinner is Jewish services. And then Sunday morning is Christian services. And one time during the session, usually the second week, they open up those services. So for me, that was the day that I visited camp was a Friday. And so I got to go to Muslim services, which as a non-Muslim, I could never do anywhere else. Right. Like I, I couldn't do that. And so that was just like an unbelievable experience to be able to like observe Muslim prayer. Um, to be honest, I went to Jewish services once when I was a camper. Frankly, it felt like a Israeli delegation meeting. Um, <laughs> the whole thing was in Hebrew. They sang no songs that were recognizable to me. Yeah. And I was like, this is interesting because, um, you know, I think American Jewry feels like such a solidarity with, um, you know, Israel and for me, it actually felt like a very lonely experience that I, like my connection was being questioned because it felt very foreign to me and not like my type of Judaism. Do you have any, like, do any like stories or moments stand out to you that like kind of are your favorites from your experience or kind of are definitive of your experience or something like that? Um, I mean, there's a couple of just like great Seeds of Peace stories. Totally um, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, we want to hear them. So, I mean, one is um, a couple of years ago, I got to meet Saab Arakat, who is the chief negotiator for the Palestinian Authority uh, in their negotiations with Israel. And he's a big Seeds supporter. Um, in fact, two out of three of his kids went to Seeds, uh, or no, three out of four, because I joked that he, be he beat my parents' odd <laughs> ratios. Um, and uh, like four out of six of Mahmoud Abbas's grandchildren have been seeds and things like that. So he sent his kids to seeds and this was a probably 10, 15 years ago. There was a huge flood in Jericho where, um, the Arakat family lives. And he said that he did not receive one call from any of his people, you know, any of his sort of co-negotiators on the Israeli side asking, you know, are you okay? Anything like that. Meanwhile, his daughter, Dalal, got, I think, like 10 to 15 separate phone calls from Israeli friends from Seeds checking in to, like, make sure she was okay. Um, and it's just, like, 
that's the kind of thing like seeds is not the purpose of seeds is not to like work out a new not to fix. It's not to do like a peace process. It's not to right. negotiate a treaty. The whole thing that we say at Seeds is that governments make treaties, but peace is made by people. And so, you know, you really have to be able to spend some time and like share your story to develop empathy for someone else. Uh, and that's something that Seeds does really well. Uh, for me, um, I mean, this is just like, this is kind of the beauty of camp, even just regardless of, of who it's dealing with. But I decided to go to Cairo a couple of years ago and I was like going pretty much on my own. Um, but I sent messages to a couple of campers and a couple of counselors who lived in Cairo. I said, I'm coming. All of a sudden there is a Facebook group that I didn't even know about called Eric is coming to visit Cairo <laughs> where they laid out a schedule and like, I didn't know anything about this. So I arrived and I knew where I was staying, but they like, there were four campers there as well, as well as the counselor who I was staying with to pick me up. And they just like took me around for four days and kids were cutting school. <laughs> they like had different campers assigned to different spots. So like we went to the Citadel and there were three new campers there to like show me around <laughs> so the nice. Citadel. Amazing. And like every dinner was at a different place that was like someone's favorite. And the last night they did like a huge potluck and all the parents were there and I ate pigeon, which <laughs> is by the way, delicious. Um, and it was just like one of those things where, you know, those are the types of bonds that you can only have at camp. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, I was the guy who made their schedule every day. Like I didn't really have the chance to like, I didn't live in a bunk when I was on staff Yeah. and for them to like go out of their way for me like that, it's just kind of, it reinforces the power of the camp experience. For sure. That's a That's such a good story. Really cool. I love that. All I've right. got photo proof. If you want to like put it on the, on we the would podcast love to, website, we will put it on the website. We'll put it on the Instagram pigeon as a heads up. It just looks like chicken. Uh, I mean, I would, honestly, I'm like glad that they like serve a purpose in other places because I hate pigeons. With yeah. A evidently passion. they're a little less arrogant in other parts of the world I than hate, they are here in New York. I hate <laughs> pigeons. I've had fried pigeon. I've really? Just been holding that back. Weigh um, in thoughts. I loved it. Yeah, it's so delicious. Crispy. Pigeons. Great. <laughs> uh, so take away from this podcast. Uh, yeah, is eat some pigeon. Pigeon is delicious. Facebook it is leads a good to way world to peace. Let everyone know that someone's coming to a country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and peace is a good thing. Yeah. All right. Peace is made by people. Peace is made by people. Treaties are made by governments. Peace True. is made by people. You got it. You nailed it. Nailed yeah. it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Eric. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a, it's an honor to to come on the show. Be sure to check out Seeds of Peace at www.seedsofpeace.org and on all relevant social media at Seeds of Peace. Great. And check out our social media as well, uh, you can check us out at www.happycamperspodcast.com. Find us on Instagram at Happy Campers Podcast. Or Twitter at Happy Campers Pod. And Gmail, happycamperspodcast at gmail.com. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to part two of Camp as a Safe Space. We're so happy that we could make this happen. Thanks again, Eric. Day is done. Gone the sun. We out. Our theme song was written, recorded, and sung by the very talented Steffi Copeland.